Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 50, the MAP team coming at you live for our weekly session for our MAPT members. Dr. Scott Wright, how are you doing, my friend? Doing well. Dr. Ryan Gray, uh, it is gloomy and overcast here in Austin, Texas, but you know, in our hearts, we're warm and inviting. It is, it is gloomy and cold here in Colorado. It may snow later today oh after spring had come and now it's going to run away, but that's, yeah. that's all right. That's, that's what we're, it's how we roll. Yeah. Uh, my famous, I was going to say infamous, but that's a bad word. My <laughs> famous uh, co-founder of Mapped, Rachel Grubbs, how are you doing? I'm great. It's gloomy and rainy, and that's my favorite weather. So <laughs> I'm having a glorious day, and my windows are open. Oh, All righty. That's, that's cool. good. That is good, cool. Good for you. Right. Um, National Pre-Med Day, May 28th, nationalpremedday.com. 30 sessions, 30-ish sessions, 30-plus speakers. Go check it out, nationalpremedday.com for all of you friendly folks watching live. Uh, when this comes out on replay, National Prima Day will be over, but you can watch the replay of National That's Prima right. Day. <laughs> if you're watching this on replay, you're already used to replays anyway. Um, so go watch the replay of National Prima Day. Got some, <laughs> some great guests lined up. Yeah, we do. Uh, anything else going on in the mapped world, Rachel? Uh, well, we've got inside mid-admissions. We're going to talk about secondaries this month. So that's the uh, last Wednesday of the month. So this month, that's Wednesday, the 26th 26. at 1 p.m. Um, you can Eastern. go to in- mm-hmm. yeah, Eastern. Thank you. You can go to uh, InsideMedAdmissions.com. And I think I might have a banner for that. We'll see. Maybe, maybe not. InsideMedAdmissions.com um, and sign up for that. Yes. And then, uh, yeah, those are the big events coming up. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Got some great stuff going on behind the scenes at Mapped with our software. We have uh, a new team member we're excited to announce coming soon. Yeah. Um, so lots, lots of great stuff going on. We got questions yet? Yeah. Uh, let's take it some time to load. So I'm pasting a couple in the private chat. Okay. Uh, the first question here is volunteering as a sexual assault victim advocate considered a clinical experience. I accompany victims during their medical examinations and provide advocacy post-assault. I also implement crisis intervention and assist uh, in filing for crime injunctions and victim compensation. This work is scheduled on call when logging hours. Should I count all hours I'm on call or only hours physically at the facility? Hmm. Good question. Um, hmm. Let me think about that for a second because, I mean, I would see it, I don't know. I don't know if I would see it as clinical experience or not, frankly. Um, uh, I think that 
I would probably log all the hours, even those that you're on call, but um, I don't know if I would count it as clinical experience. Ryan, what's your opinion? So I know this job, um, and uh, half of the job is clinical and half of it's admin and kind mm. of social work kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, the the part where they are there with the, the victim uh, – during an examination, like they're, right. they're bedside holding right. hands, giving right. issues. Like, yeah, good point. They, so that to me is clinical experience. Uh, and then the rest really isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you could probably, this is one where you could probably split the hours of part of it is clinical experience and part of it is more of the the social work type stuff where you you count the rest of the hours. Right, right, right. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Sure is important work. Thanks that for doing it, it. That it is. Um, good evening. I'd like to know examples of integrated science courses. I ask because it seems some medical schools can replace old courses in basic sciences, chem, physics, mathematics, with recent integrated science courses. Thank you. I have no clue. <laughs> I do not know what that means. Yeah, I saw this a day or two ago. So thank you, dear student, for being persistent. I was doing a little Googling because like the guys, I don't have a lot of familiarity with this. It seems like it's most common in Canada where rather than doing semester by semester, there's like long courses that cover a lot of different subjects. So by the end, you've got your chem, your bio. Um in, in the U.S., the term seems to be used more for like a class like, say, neuroscience, where it might be half psych, half bio. And that, I think, becomes important because when you're talking about does this count as a science GPA, right? Like the rule of thumb is, is it at least a majority? So if at least, you know, 51% is bio, counts towards science GPA. But, um, yeah, question asker, you may have to... I don't know if you can type in today and we can circle back to you, um, but you may have to give us a little more context on what you're looking for so we can, you know, we, we want to learn. So we may not know the answer today, but we're always looking for chances to build our expertise. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then last one here, my clinical experience was cut short due to COVID. So I only have about 50 hours. However, I also had clinical experience that started in high school and ended September of my freshman year of college. Should I add this to my application? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think as long as the course that started in high or the experience that started in high school was extended into your college years, then absolutely. I I, I think that should absolutely go in your application. Yeah. There's always that one little caveat asterisk Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. it's not the one-off thing that you did in high school. If it's something that started in high school that you continued. Right. Sure. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Happy Monday. How do I deal with feedback on my personal statement activity section? I trust all these people. But they all tell me something different. Dr. Scott Wright, this is such a huge problem Yep. in the pre-med world, just in general in the world. Yep. Unfortunately, people have different opinions. <laughs> and there isn't just one way to do things. And for some reason, not everyone will just trust me. 
So, <laughs> <laughs> how, how do students deal with this? Yeah, it, it's interesting that this questioner had this question. Um, I, I think that I, I had this recently with a student who was talking to me, and we we were going through editing and personal statement and such, and then came back later and said, oh, I had somebody else read it, and they had different opinions, and so now I'm all confused, and I'm like, okay, well, I get that, but uh, anyway, so what, what, what I recommend is that you limit the number of people that you're asking to read and respond uh, and give you advice on your personal statement, because the more people you get, the more advice you're going to get. And sometimes it is going to be conflicting. And so I do think you have to limit. You also have to t- keep in mind who you're getting the advice from and what, how do they know what they know. And uh, just keep that in mind as you go along because, uh, you know, you may get uh, a doctor that you're shadowing that wants to read your personal statement but doesn't have any clue about how to get into medical school. Just because they got into medical school 30 years ago doesn't mean that they have some insider knowledge uh, about how to, how to write your personal statement or give you feedback on your activities section. So, um, so even though, as the questioner said, I trust all of these people, keep in mind who they are, what they know, how they know what they know. And, uh, and, and you have to, you know, really focus in on people that you feel like have some knowledge of the process uh, of getting into, med- getting into medical school. Uh, because it, the more people you seek advice from, the more opinions you're going to get and the more confused you're going to get and the more frustrated you're going to get. So yeah. my advice, limit, that, limit those people to only a few. Yeah. But it, it even extends out because students can go – talk directly to a director or dean of admission at a medical school and go to one school and get one piece of advice and go to another school, talk to the same person Mm -hmm. with the same amount of expertise in the area and get a completely different answer. And, and what I've been saying a lot lately, because this, this comes up a lot with me, um, is students are like, they, they say something completely different is there's, there's, there's no one way to do it, right? right. I, I'm not right. egotistical enough to know that, to think that my way is the only way. I think it's the best way, <laughs> but it's not the only way. Right. Um, and and I, I tell students at the end of the day, you have to do what you feel is right based on who you are and the story that you want to tell. And and just go go with what what makes you feel the best when you submit your application and, and what makes you the happiest knowing that you kind of put all of your effort into it. Yeah, I agree with that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What I would say, and the, I mean, Scott, you sort of touched on this, but to expand it a little bit is, I mean, it certainly is good to get um, more than one opinion if that's what you want, but what you want to avoid is like decision by committee. Um, right. right. So if you've kind of got a gut feeling on this is the right way to do it, but then you try to compromise with four or five different mentors, you may end up with a jumble that doesn't really match anyone's vision. And what I think these conflicting um, feedbacks that you're getting are a reflection of the fact that ad comms are not uniform, yep. right? Mm-hmm. So different people are going to look at your application and different people are going to assess it differently. Right. So, you know, I would say, you know, to, to the guy's point, go with your gut, but also don't let it, don't let it get picked apart to where, you know, I thought it was a camel, but now it's a zebra, but now it's an elephant. 
Now it's none of those three. It's some weird hybrid, which actually would be really cool. But <laughs> uh, zebra zebra striped elephant with humps. Uh, anyway, come back, come back to us. Yeah, <laughs> you got you got to rein in the neurodivergent girl. Um, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, you want to avoid that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I I had, when I was writing my second to last book, um, my my personal statement book, I reached out to who I consider a friend, uh, Dr. Rafael Rivera, the director of admissions at NYU. And I asked him, I'm like, I, I would love a quote for my book about personal statements and, and, and how important they are. And he's like, actually, I'm the wrong person to ask. We really don't value personal statements here at NYU. We don't use them as, as robustly as maybe other admissions committees. He, and and the, the specific language that he used is that students get so much outside counsel on what to put in a personal statement that they're no longer personal statements. They're village statements. Mm. And, and they, don't, they don't reflect the student at all. And so they use the secondary essays as kind of more weight in the admissions process. Mm. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. Um, yeah, and what I used to tell people all the time was – what they want varies year to year, school to school, committee to committee, right? So that might be what's happening currently under uh, Dr. Rivera's leadership. And maybe in a few years, he's going to move on somewhere else and the school might evolve into a different point of view. Yep. Um, so even if, you know, even if you heard it from Dr. Gray, you heard the same thing from your older brother who goes there. That doesn't mean it's going to be true the year you apply. Yeah. Um, and at some point, yeah. I think you just drive yourself crazy guessing, you know, mm -hmm. yep. get some advice and then you just jump in. Move on. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Speaking of which. Yeah. I have been filling out the TMDSAS application and have some have come to this section for SAT and ACT scores. What kind of bearing does the TMDSAS place on these scores? And what are they looking for when asking for these scores? Dr. Scott Wright. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think they, you know, they want to get a full picture of you as a student. Um, they're asking for every grade you've ever made in college post-secondary uh, courses that you've had graded, they're asking for MCAT score. I know from my point of view, uh, what one of the things that is valuable for looking at an SAT or ACT score is to evaluate if the MCAT score is on the low side, they may look at the SAT score and, say, and try to determine, is this somebody who just generally has difficulties with standardized testing? And uh, because they can look at the a either SAT or ACT and, and see, you know, based on that score and then looking at the MCAT score, is there something, is there a consistency here in terms of struggling or conversely in terms of doing really well on standardized tests? And so other than that, I don't think there's a big, there, the, I, I don't know that any of the medical schools in, in the uh, Texas uh, application system uh, use that to any like huge degree in terms of consideration. They're just trying to get a picture of you as an applicant. Who are you uh, relative to these types of high stakes testing situations? Yep. It's more data. Yep. All right. But one more from a student that came in. 
Should having an institutional action affect the caliber of my school list? Other than stats, what separates the selection process from top schools to lower caliber schools? So pause. There's no such thing as a low caliber school. Right. <laughs> Stop with that language, people, please. Yep. Anyway. Yeah, I agree completely. Action, apply to schools you want to apply to. Yeah, they'll they'll deal with it an IA. However, they deal with an IA. Yeah, I don't think I don't think your institutional action should affect your school list at all. I think you you go for the schools that you're interested in. You go for the schools that are meaningful to you, and um, and you let as you just said, Ryan. You just let them deal with it. Uh, however, they're going to deal with it, and. Uh, and, and then just move on. But I, I don't think it needs to affect uh, the process of you considering where to apply at all. Yeah. Yeah. What, Rachel? Oh, you, you saw me thinking, huh? Yeah. What, what I was pondering, and I disclaimer, not a licensed therapist, is that question to me, which looks like it's for me, but I just pasted it from someone, looks like um, some internalized shame. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say to you, if you made a mistake, the whole point now is that you want to own it and learn from it, but you don't have to beat yourself up about that mistake forever if it's not doing other people harm anymore, right? It's okay to still want to be ambitious and want good things for yourself. Absolutely. And some of that might come out in your institutional action essay. Um, and I don't know if that's something you're writing now, if you're planning ahead for future years, but it just, you know, it's, we make mistakes, we learn, we do better. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Agree completely. That's a good word, Rachel. Yeah. So, so this question is is one where a student is trying to play a game. There's there's something that happened. Whether I took classes at a community college, I had a misdemeanor, I had an IA, I am a non traditional student because I failed out right away. Wh- whatever that is, the student is trying to take what happened in their life in the past. And then try to play play a game moving forward, trying to go, how's this person going to think about it? How's this person going to think about it? How's this person going to think about it? And and at the end of the day, you have no control over that. Mm-hmm. You've done what you've done, whether it's courses or institutional actions, whatever it is. And and uh, and as Rachel said, right, you have to bear those consequences, unfortunately. Don't be shameful of them. But that's just part of who you are now part of your record at least and the schools are going to deal with it how they're going to deal with it and so you trying to cherry pick and and worry about the minutia of how a school's going to deal with it they're going to deal with it how they're going to deal with it you play your game let the schools deal with it how they're going to deal with it and move on don't waste yep. any brain energy trying to, to play this game yeah i i agree with that completely ryan it's it's uh you know, I, I've, I have a lot of students who have institutional action. Uh, I've seen a lot come through. The, the main key is own it, as Rachel said, reflect on it, show the schools that you reflected on it, and, and then move on. And then just say what you're going to say, say it, get on with it, and, and move on. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. We've done a little bit of therapy for the day. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Are there banks or credit unions that allow for mortgage loans to students that don't need a cosigner from your experiences? I'm looking into this on the off chance my job won't let me work remotely for a bit while buying a home if I get accepted out of state. Thank you for your help. 
so random my my opinion don't buy a house in medical school (laughs) that's the last thing you want to be worried about especially right now when home prices are ridiculously high yes for no no reason um don't don't buy a house uh, yeah. But other than that, there there are banks out there who cater to future doctors. So just just Google it. You'll find some stuff. Now, if you can get your parent or in-laws to buy the house for you and then rent it back to you, that's a great choice. But that's <laughs> that's that's a whole nother ballgame. But that's yeah. a whole nother ballgame. Yeah. yeah. Don't buy a house. I agree. Yeah. But buying a house is overrated, especially for such a short period of time of four years. Yeah, uh, I, I think most people will tell you that it's just not worth it for four it's years. It's a headache, number one, that you do not need in medical school. Yeah. yeah. Imagine imagine preparing for like your anatomy final and your water heater goes, and then you got to wait for the plumber to come to fix your water heater, and that's all out-of-pocket expenses, and oh, you're maxed out on your student loans, and oh, your, your credit cards are maxed out. Like That's just not a headache you want. Let yeah. the landlord deal with that. Yeah. I agree completely. <laughs> not, not coming from experience or anything. <laughs> Did your house flood recently? Oh, I didn't remember that. <laughs> uh, I own a home currently, but yeah, I owned one in my 20s and I did not like it. I had to take a break and rent again for a while before I was ready for homeownership number two. Yeah. Um, it's not for everyone. It's for some people. Yep. Let's move on. If you add scholarship programs you earned going into college to work and activities, how would you discuss it in the activity description? That's a good question. Should you put mm-hmm. scholarships that you earned for college that you earned while you were a high school student in your activity section? Um, so I think if you, if you got a scholarship that was a merit-based scholarship, uh, because your GPA was really high or because you um, did some special research and you got this great scholarship because of it or w- things like that, I would say, yeah, put it on the activity section if you've got space for it. If you're running out of space, then no. Uh, that's something that you could eliminate. But it, among your 15 for AMCAS or uh, you know, you're unlimited for uh, ACOMAS or TMDSAS, then, and then I think absolutely you know, put it on there. Um, now, he, the, the questioner, Ryan, does not say he earned him in high school. Mm. And so, you know, my assumption is, uh, oh, I just say going into college. Going so, into college. Yeah, yeah. I, okay, I get that. Uh, so I would say if, if it's merit-based, yeah, uh, I would add it in there and, and, and feel good about it and kind of discuss um, what the uh, why you got the scholarship and why it was meaningful to you that you got this you know, particular kind of scholarship. Now, if it was a scholarship that's not really merit-based, if it was, you know, your grandma's in the, or, or your grandfather's a Shriner or something, and because of that, you got this scholarship because you're connected to your grandfather. Uh, you know, I don't think that, but I think if it's a, if it's something that you did to earn it, then absolutely, I think it's worthy to put it on there if, if you've got space. All right. Quick comment from the audience. I just noticed that uh-huh. it has caffeine written out in his back wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get lots does. of comments about that. <laughs> oh, also, one person like my animal tangent. I'll, uh, thank you for the support. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> should, should every activity description mention how it will make me a better physician or is a general takeaway lesson that is not necessarily related to medicine be okay? I have strong opinions on this. What do you, what do you think, Scott? I, uh, I do have opinions on this. Um, I'm always a little hesitant to, uh, to state my opinions knowing that Dr. Gray is in the room. And uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, no, I, I actually think that it doesn't have to be related to medicine. Uh, that, you know, if, as the questioner puts general takeaway lesson, I think, you know, that's the reflection part. Uh, that's, that's what you're, you know, you're talking about me as an individual. You're talking about what, how you've grown through that activity. And, and I think if it doesn't, if it, it, that, you know, I think sometimes when you try to, to figure out a way to relate it to medicine, that it, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like you're trying to kind of put a square peg in a round hole and, and fit it in there somehow. And so yeah. uh, I, I don't think you need to, to struggle to do that. I think general, general lessons are, are fine. Yeah. So the, the language that I've been using lately, and I, I talk about uh, in the book, I, I don't typically like this activity taught me or I learned this because those are typically very generic statements that students are like, Okay, I need to make sure that they really know that I know compassion is important to being a physician. I'm like, ugh, like I don't need to know that. It's not, it's not who you are. Um, and and Scott, something that you say all the time, it's not the what, it's the so what. And, and I've I've massaged that, and it seemed to click the other day when I was talking to a group of students. Is don't tell me what you learned. Tell me what it meant. Like, what did it mean to you? to have this experience not what did it mean to you to be a physician or what did it mean to you to make you a better physician just what did it mean to you period yeah absolutely yep i agree completely yeah and what i would add to that is that adcoms are human beings and they'd like to know that you are one too and not Mm -hmm. just like future doctor robot (laughs) (laughs) i am compassion (laughs) I empathy. <laughs> All your six are mine. <laughs> it's like it's like uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, I am, I am job. <laughs> I am job. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's good. is non-science hypothesis-based research seen as equivalent experiences having done science research? Yes. Research is research is research is research is research doesn't have to be medically related science related the the whole point of research is are are you a thinker are you a mm-hmm. questioner can you yep. can do do you like to challenge the status quo can you think about how to potentially try to challenge something uh ex, it, coming up with experiment design and all that fun stuff so yes mm-hmm. it all mm-hmm. works mm-hmm. agreed What are you guys' thoughts? I'll, I'll re- rephrase that. What are you all's thoughts on pass, no pass versus ranked medical schools? Ah. So this this is for those who, who may not understand the question. So this isn't talking about like U.S. News and World Report rankings. This is you in medical school, your grades are pass, no pass versus you are ranked based on grades and other stuff. So a lot of schools are moving to a pass, no pass, where they're the the students aren't ranked, although they still are ranked, just more behind the scenes, <laughs> typically. So yeah, I, th- what I do you think. Yeah, I think that 
I think that very, very few schools have a true pass, no pass policy. What they have is no pass, pass, high pass, honors, which is essentially the same as ABCD. I mean, you know, it's kind of a screwy the way yeah. they, 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 they do that. Uh, more and more schools are going to um, something different for the, the, the basic science years as opposed to the, the clinical years. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I think you just look at it and you, you evaluate what the, what the grading policy is of the schools that you're looking at. Uh, sometimes you have to dig around a lot to find what that grading policy is. They may not just say on the admissions website, here's our grading policy, you know, so you have to dig around for it a little bit. Uh, but, uh, I do think you need to be wary of, um, you know, when a school says we have uh, a pass, no pass grading policy, you know, ask more questions about that. Is it really just pass, no pass, or is it something more expanded than that? Yeah. Uh, then, uh, you know, and, and then evaluate that given what you, what you already know. And is it clinical years and, uh, the, the science years, meaning, uh, the, the course, the first two years Mm -hmm. and then last two years. Um, but yeah, a lot of schools, they'll say pass, no pass just for those first two years. And then there's more of that high pass, pass, no pass, whatever for your, your rotations, um, which, potentially puts more stress on the student then uh, a lot of students when you go on reddit student doctor network they really advocate for a pass no pass school because they're like oh then the competition goes away but but it really doesn't right it's you're still out there trying yeah. to do your best because that next that next uh, finish line is there the next checkpoint is there for residency applications trying to prove that you're adequate enough for residency yes so, yeah it, it never ends. My my general thought on this is don't necessarily pick schools based on pass, no pass. When when you hear me talk about building a school list, I never talk about typically scoring. I talk about curriculum, but not not the scoring of that curriculum. Right. Uh, because if you go to a school that's pass, no pass, and you're miserable at that school because you you only picked it because it's pass, no pass, mm-hmm. but you would have thrived at another school that had graded first couple of years, you potentially would have been AOA, which is the kind of honor society for medical school and, and done great, but you avoided it for fear of that, that graded curriculum. Yep. So. Agreed. Again, it really it comes down to stop trying to play a game and and go true to who you are. All right. Is being a personal trainer considered clinical experience? No. no. Also, I did photography as a hobby for two years and turned it into a paid gig so I can put photography both as a hobby and as a work experience in the application. Potentially. Yeah, potentially, sure. Now, I know that at least in Texas, they don't like for you to double dip. And so if you're going to put it as work experience, don't put it as a hobby. If you're going to put it as a hobby, don't put it as work experience. Um, But uh, otherwise, I I think, you know, fine either way you want to do it, but I wouldn't do it both ways. Hmm. Non-traditional student here. Working as a clinical pharmacist, where do publications fall on a scale of application importance? We've talked about this a bunch, Scott. What do you think? Mm-hmm. 
You know, I think it depends on what the publication is. I think I think it depends on where it was published. Uh, you know, even as specific as what you know, which author you were on the publication. I, I don't think that a pub, that publications in general are high on the scale of importance in the application process. Most students don't have publications. The, those that do, you know, great. It, it's usually as a part of some sort of research uh, that they're doing. Um, so I, I wouldn't say, in my view, it's it's real high on the on the list of things that the admissions committees are gonna gonna really hone in on. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to Google real quick, although I can't find it. The, the AAMC does have a, a survey of deans and directors of medical schools about what's important and, and kind of high priority, low priority yeah. uh, of importance for different factors of a medical school application. Um, so try to go find that. I, I can't find it right now looking for it, but I know it's out there. T.O. Google. <clears throat> T.O. Google will know. Ask that guy everything. <laughs> All right. Uncle? Uncle Google? Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Uncle Google. Uncle Google. Uncle Google. I know. I know. I, I heard it. I heard it. Uh, are any of you familiar with this oddity of the 32-hour rule? I am at 28 credits, and then to, quote, get to 32 hours, I would need to pick four credits out of a 14-credit semester. That's not how it works. I had, I don't think, I had one C plus in that semester. Would they pick the four credits with the best grades or randomly pick a four credit class? No, they pick your last 32 credits. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't worry about the 32 hour rule. There are a few schools that use it. Some schools have 20 hours, some schools 40, some schools 60. Mm-hmm. Just again, don't play the game. Uh, put together the best application possible for you the best grades possible for you and apply and don't, don't, uh, don't try to play the game. Yeah. Agreed. I agree. That would be nice. Right. Can you take this four credit a from freshman year, uh, this four credit class from sophomore year where I got an a, uh, that'd be nice if you could pick and choose. You know, what's weird though, is that's more or less what the SAT and ACT let students now do now. They call it a super score. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, like, although that question to me, I'm like, what? But I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, there's some precedent. <laughs> it's been like that. I was like that when I went, applied to college. It went away for a while and then it oh, came did back. It? Yeah. Wow. Super scores. And, and uh, there are some medical schools that super score the MCAT. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very few, though. Very few, but there are a few. It's not a good idea to count on it. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, don't play the game. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's, that's okay. the title of this episode. Don't play. Uh, our friends tonight are slightly quieter than usual. It's 637. And at the moment, the popcorn of our questions has stopped popping. But I bet you by the time I'm into, done it with this sentence, someone will have typed in another question. Oh, there it goes. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I participated in physician shadowing in Spain through Atlantis in the summer of 2019. I have about 11 hours of shadowing in the U.S., but around 800 hours of clinical experience, medical interpreter, PT aid. Will having this distribution of shadowing be a ding on my application? Ding. Yep, I agree. <laughs> What's a ding? Yeah, I mean, I think the point is the the system of of medicine and, and healthcare is different in Spain than it is in the U.S. 
And so what they're, what the medical school admissions committees are looking for is, do you understand what being a doctor in the U.S. is all about? Because (laughs) ostensibly you're going to med school in the U.S., you're going to be a doctor in the U.S., and so it's not, it, it's great that you have all these, all this experience in Spain and that, that's awesome. And, and I love the idea, but then having so few uh, in the U.S., I think that is a, is a problem. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I think there, there's value in Atlantis. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously it's for the people who are privileged enough to be able to afford it. Um I wouldn't do it to try to stand out on an application. I would do it because you're interested to go explore other cultures and other communities and other healthcare systems, mm-hmm. but don't, don't bet on it helping you at all with the application. Agreed. Yep. And there's at least one school that I know of that specifically states no international shadowing is considered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Oh, here we go. How critical is shadowing to applicants with medical experience working with physicians? Critical care nurse here. I plan to get some shadowing hours, but I'm more focused on other things. Like MCAT, probably. (laughs) Like MCAT. (laughs) Scott, you and I have, have differed a little bit on this, I think, in the past. Um, maybe so. I can't I can't really remember. Um so how critical is shadowing to applicants with medical experience working with physicians? I mean, I think so. The key here is the word critical. Um, how critical is shadowing to applicants? I, I think shadowing for applicants is a good thing. I think it optimally, uh, it would be a great thing for everybody to have experience because I think as a nurse, you're getting to see the doctors in a, within a certain context. Uh, I think it would be beneficial to to see doctors that are different than than what you typically work with. Uh, critical care nurse, you know, maybe go shadow a, a pediatrician, maybe go shadow a dermatologist, or you know, whatever somebody else, and and see them over over a long period of time, over a day or several days in a row, where you're seeing the the things that they do on a daily basis. Uh, and, and because what you're seeing as a critical care nurse is our critical care doctors who are there for a short period of time and are then gone. And, uh, you know, they do their rounds, they do whatever they're going to do, and then they're out of there. So um, that's my opinion. Yeah. So my, my general advice is, yes, you still need some shadowing because what you are experiencing as a critical care nurse is the physician at the bedside, the physician chatting at the, the kind of nurse's station, whatever, um, doing some charting. You're not seeing the other headaches potentially that you may be able to see mm-hmm. and hear mm-hmm. doing a full shadowing. What, what happens kind of when they leave the floor, the ICU or wherever, where your kind of job stops uh, and they go out and go do the rest of their job. That's the this, this stuff that yeah. is potentially missing. Does that mean you need to go get 100 hours like everyone else is trying to get? No, but mm-hmm. but I would try to get some. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. See, we agreed. We agreed. That just means I've gotten to you. Oh, is that it? <laughs> oh, yeah, I can I can replay the tape. You brought you over to our side, Scott. 
<laughs> Would it be appropriate to make a note of canceled shadowing due to COVID in the application? I have 50 hours otherwise, but three experiences that were canceled. No. So a Comus has a COVID question built into the primary application. AMCAS does not, but most schools will ask some sort of COVID question. How did COVID impact secondary. you? Right. And, and it can potentially go there. I wouldn't uh, make note of it on the experiences part. Yeah. Can I group all of my shadowing hours under one section on the Acomas application? Yes, you can. Yep, absolutely. Now you may want to separate them out if you if you have certain things that you want to talk about relative to a particular shadowing experience. Um, but you can, yeah, absolutely, you can group it all together. And I think on a, on AMCAS, that's sometimes important because you are limited on those number of, of slots that you have. ACOMAS and TMDSES, you, you, you really don't have that, that problem, but uh, you, can, you can lump them all together for sure. Mm -hmm. um, wow. We're rocking and rolling through these questions. Yeah, I think it's finals week for a lot of people. Yeah, it is. And uh, some people might be busy doing applications rather than asking us questions about applications. That's all right. <laughs> that was just great. Um, I, if we need to, I can go to my tried and true. I find that if I threaten pre-meds with yoga, they ask a question. Oh, look. Nobody says we have to be there a full hour. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Originally, true. it was 45 minutes. True. We just always run late. <laughs> Let's take this one, though. Are the Texas MD, PhD, and MSTP applications AMCAS, but the MD only portion TMDSAS? Correct. For most schools. Correct. It depends on the school, though. Yeah. Uh, because I think that my understanding was that, and this may be wrong, I, big caveat here, this may be wrong, but I think that Baylor, which is just now coming into TMDSAS this year, was going to do TMD SAS for everything, MD as well as MD PhD. But I can't be certain on that. Uh, check with uh, check with TMD SAS when you when you're. Um, but it, it's pretty clear in the application. So I, I think uh, once you yeah. get the application going, it should be pretty clear when you're when you're filling that out. Yeah, as far as I know, and, and Baylor's the the one obviously that that's different. But as far as I know, previously. It was there were like two schools yep. that were for MD PhD part of TMD SAS and not mm -hmm. AMCAS. I think that's what I remember too. I don't remember which two, but we had to look into it to do our application information thing. And mm -hmm. there were there were mm -hmm. two that were um, that were both essays in yeah. TMD SAS. And so yeah. yeah, maybe now three with Baylor. Yeah, and just to be clear, just you know, just to uh, for those that don't know, uh, MST stands for Medical Scientist Training Program, which is the NIH-supported, uh, funded, funded uh, MD-PhD programs. Not all MD-PhD programs are MSTP, yep. and so you just need to kind of be clear on that when you're when you're applying and stuff. And yep. just to be just to be clear, MSTP typically always equals. I think always ne never say always. Typically equals. Uh, free medical school and some mm -hmm. stipend money. Yep, that's no, <laughs> uh, that's right. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and just because a program doesn't uh, get NIH funding doesn't mean they still won't give you free medical school and some funding. It just 
potentially comes from a different source. Different source. Mm -hmm. I am a post-bac student and I'm struggling with Orgo 2 this semester. Do you think a W is better than a C? Well, so I have certain, I have several, several um, uh, thoughts about this question. One is uh, step back and reflection time. Why are you struggling in Orgo 2? This is a big issue. Uh, you need to be understanding and clear, reflecting on why, why this is happening, what, what's going on in your life, in your academic life that is making Oreo 2 difficult for you. Um, as a post student, what that would suggest to me is that perhaps your, your grades were not great um, coming into it, although you could be a second career student and going into uh, and having never you know, had Orgo 2 before, but I think this is a, a time for some deep reflection on uh, what's, you know, what's, what's causing this. Um, so to the, to the more practical issue of, uh, do you think a, a W is better than a C? I, I would say probably it is. And, uh, you know, take a W in the class if you still can at this point in the semester and uh, and then uh, and then backtrack, but I think there needs to be some really heavy reflection on what's going on and why that why you're struggling uh, in uh, in Okin too. Yep, yep. I've input all of my classes, but will AMCAS kick it back if the course description is slightly different than the transcript? Well, I think course description, you probably mean course title. Course uh, name, which yeah. The course name. My recommendation is whatever's on your transcript, that is exactly what you put into AMCAS. You do yep. not change anything. Yep. Uh, I think that's the safest, most conservative way to go about it. And I do think that if you – I don't – I'm not exactly sure why you would put something different uh, than that, but I, I wouldn't try to do anything different. Whatever it says on your transcript, that's what they're going to be looking for. So that's what you input in. Yep. It'd be interesting for mapped at some point, how we can tie transcript course name. Cause the number will be the same, but the course mm -hmm. name uh, yeah. is typically abbreviated, which yeah. right, in today's day and age, I was thinking about this the other day, right? Transcript software is still creating transcripts as if it was created on a typewriter. Right. Yeah. Why is that? <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, I so, agree. Anyway. I but, agree. But, but yeah, that would be a great addition for Mapped in the future to have essentially like the course catalog name and the course transcript name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, AMCAS, and I believe the other application services, but, but AMCAS for sure says in the handbook, it should match exactly like your transcript. Yeah. And the reason is there's a person sitting there going, what does it say here? What does it say there? What does it say here? What does it say there? And they're just going line by line, making sure everything lines up. Yeah. And like, I don't mean this is a disparagement to that person who's doing really important work that might not be super rewarding for them, but they're not going to take the time to think about exceptions. They can't, yep. they have too many thousands of people to get through. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, you want to make their job easy. Yep. 
Yeah. Would you recommend Interfolio or some other application to get letters of reference consolidated? I'd like to give my references ample time, so I'm not rushing them since I want to submit my app early. Good yeah. for you. Good for That's, you. That is the reason why we typically recommend Interfolio. Yep. Uh, and in the future, we'll recommend Map. That's a, a feature we want to come to Map at some point. Um, but yeah, the, the benefit of using Interfolio is you can ask for the letters now. Right, you could ask for the letters now for any of the application services now that they're open. Uh, but remember, typically you want your letters dated the year that you're applying. And so just keep that in mind. But yeah, it, it prevents you from having your letter writer needing to submit to two different application services or three right. if you're applying to all three. So right. one place and that one yep. place will send them out. Yep. When would... It'd be too late for an LOR writer to submit the LOR if I submit my app at the end of May. Scott, mm. thoughts? When would be too late? Uh, end of May, I would say you want the letter writer to get it in probably, you know, sometime in June, or early July at the latest. Yeah, mid-July mid is typically yeah. my like, that's when the wheels start turning again. Yeah. <laughs> the admission yeah. fees are ramping stuff up again. Yep. Uh, so yeah. mid-July. Mid yeah. um, here's what I will say about that. I, I agree with you guys, but um, that's the student deadline. That's not what you tell the person who's writing your letter. Right. Right. They're right. busy. You're anxious. Build and cushion. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and I, I personally think that four weeks is about right. If you give me more than four weeks, I'm going to forget. If you give me less than four weeks, unless there's like a good reason, I'm going to probably be slightly annoyed that you didn't give me more time. But but three to four weeks is usually right for me to like put you in the back of my brain, think about you idly once in a while, and then somewhere in there, spend a couple days really churning something good out for you. Yep. Um, okay. Oh, I'm going to jump in order here because we've got a related one. How early is too early to ask for an LOR? So it's never too early to ask for one. The question is how early is too early to have the letter write one and put the stamp date on there uh, mm -hmm. if you're applying in three years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you want it to be in the calendar year of the year you're applying. So... Uh, I would say too early would be the, the previous calendar year. Yeah. 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 So, but, but like we always say, ask early and just say, I'm hoping to ask you next year. Can I say? Yeah. That? Oh, yeah. Warn them. Hey, I'm going to do doing this. Abs em. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> I'm going to be asking you this. And do you like cookies? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that's actually a good follow-up question that, that wasn't asked, but I see it all the time. What is a gift that I can give the the physician who wrote me a letter of recommendation or the physician who let me shadow them? Pre-meds, you don't need to give gifts to, right. to these people. Don't worry about that. Yeah, Say thank I you. was joking. Yeah. It's, yeah, no, it's I know, part, I know, but it comes up all the time. Yeah, yeah. no, you're right. It's, and it's important because someone might have – been like, oh, Rachel likes cookies. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I like cookies. I love cookies. Um, yeah, it's a real rare thing, that quality. Uh, 
but yeah, de- definitely they don't need gifts. Letter writers Choc- need gifts. chocolate chip in particular. Just saying. Mm. <laughs> you often mention that medical schools look for more uh, look more at undergraduate grades than graduate grades. I have a three point nine GPA in toxic in a toxicology PhD program, but only a three point two undergraduate GPA. Should I retake undergraduate classes? We think toxicology is that a quote unquote hard sciences? Yeah, I would say no. Um, you know, I, I mean, hard should... sciences or no to it needing to retake undergrad classes. No, I would say no to retaking undergrad classes. I, I should. I I would say if you're going to apply, go ahead, go ahead and go ahead and apply. Where where you stand with the with a three nine GPA in the, in your PhD program in toxicology and stuff and and see what happens and then you know if you had to backtrack a little bit on some some undergrad but my 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 feeling is that you would not have to do that I mean that's it's a little silly to have a PhD in toxicology and go back and retake you know bio one hundred one or something that's my thought. Into it. We're getting a follow up on the transcript question. So, if my transcript says "inter epidemiologist," <laughs> is that what I enter into AMCAS? Even though the course name is "Introduction to Epidemiology and Human Disease," yes, that is what yep. you put. Again, That's exactly the, right. The AMCAS is converting, uh, is looking at your transcript and comparing it to what you put in. Yep. So. And if the, if, the, if the medical school has a question about that, they'll either ask you or they'll look it up themselves. They'll Google it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- this basically comes down to uh, our RTFM, right? Re- read the manual. Uh, follow what the instruction manual says. And yeah. as Rachel mentioned earlier, and I, I think it, it does, it says enter what's on your transcript. Don't think you're doing it, the, the reader a favor or the medical school's a favor by – entering other information that you think is going to be more valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So folks watching the replay, the 2022 guide is out. Anyone can Google the uh, AMCAS 2020 guide. But for anyone who's a MAP member watching live, we've already linked it for you. So if you're in your MAP app, it's linked for you in resources. Um, everybody should bookmark it. I personally think every pre-med should read it, whether or not they're applying this year, because it is a lot, and sometimes reading thing, things a couple times helps you digest it. So it's not a bad idea to get through it once before the year where it's really high stress. Awesome. Well, thank you all for another amazing Ask the Dean episode 50. I think we're technically a year into this, although episode numbers were not at 52 yet, which is more on the untechnical uh, one-year anniversary of Acidine. Thank you all for being here. Mm-hmm. I hope this has been helpful for you. Yeah, um, me too. And that's all I got. Yeah. Have Somebody a good said, night. Someone says we're an amazing hub of helpfulness. Oh. Thank you. I love that. I love that. Me too. That's why I put it up. That's awesome. We need a little more alliteration. What's a different word for amazing? So we can be a a hub. Awesome. No, H. It needs to be an H. Hilarious. I mean, if I don't. Obviously. (laughs) Scott not kind of included. Oh, yeah. Uh, Excuse me? What? (laughs) 
holistic. There's a keyword. Ooh, there you go. Holistic hub of helpfulness. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank Love you. you. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.